0: I oversee a lunch group in New York that gets together every two months or so. I grew up in a home where stories were told at the dinner table or any time we were eating. My father was a master storyteller. I love the lunch group, and I'm sure on some level it connects to my father and a thousand nights of stories over food when I was growing up. The group has several of my oldest friends, and also newer friends, people whom I've interviewed through the years and gotten to know, and we've become friends. It's a wonderful group. Sweet, smart, funny, and all of them are great storytellers. And there's no better storyteller than Richard Kind. Welcome to Before the Cheering Started. I'm Bud Mishkin. This is a podcast all about the journey to success and professional fulfillment. The obstacles, the doubt, the plan Bs, the Before the Cheering Started years. Richard Kind has had a long career as an actor, and he works a lot, of late on the terrific CBS police show, East New York. He's in Hulu's History of the World, Part Two, and a new film, Bo is Afraid. Early on, there were the usual struggles that come with a life in acting. But there was also a seminal time at the place that numerous actors call their comedy university, Chicago's Second City. When I spoke to him for this podcast, he had just performed at the Kennedy Center Honors for his friend George Clooney. Before we get to Trenton, New Jersey, and Pensbury High School and the tales from those years,
1: there's just uh, nothing that went on before that. Okay, go
0: ahead. <laughs> I'm always curious about people who've been in positions uh, that 99.9999% of us will not be in, and so how does one prepare for? saluting their friend at a Kennedy Center on Oh,
1: that was an interesting thing. And I got to admit, I usually don't talk about uh, George that much, but this was a scary, go ahead, what?
0: But um, I'm curious how, how you prepare. Like how does one, we watch well, those shows, they're great. How does
1: one prepare for something like that? Okay, there's two things. Number one, the Sunday night big show in front of, at the Kennedy Center was a, that's easy. You talk to the guy who's going to write the piece, he writes three paragraphs, and then I just take it and I rewrite it. I I put it into, I take, I, I, I throw away everything he wrote, but saw what he liked, which was early George. Uh, because nobody else was going to talk about that. They, they, you know, everybody, Julie and and Matt and everybody, they know him when he's successful. So I, I talked about our our past, and uh, and what made what made George, how he survived, and 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 how he collected himself, so that he was ready to be a star. So that's Sunday night, Saturday night, which is the freakiest thing. That's the evening with the medal presentation. Okay, hold, sugar, hold on. Uh, That is, uh, you're supposed to give a three-minute toast. I spent about a week trying to write a speech, and I had a decent speech. And I started, I read it to, we have a group of friends, I read it to two of them, and I'm going, and, and I kept going, is this funny? Is this good? Is this interesting? Oh, yeah, 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 it's good, it's good. And then I read it to one friend who, it, she said, you can't do that speech. There was something that might have been, a little not me too, but just a little controversial. Right. And I said, but it's what happened. She goes, you can't do it. And I, because I could have put George in jeopardy in case a reporter was there. I, I, needless to say, 10 o'clock at night, this is the bottom line. 10 o'clock at night, I threw it out. That's 10 o'clock on Friday night. I had to give it at seven 30 the next night on Saturday night. I threw it out. I just started writing and I'm going to tell you something. It was fantastic. It was such a good speech. And, uh, it was fourteen minutes long, and it's supposed to be three minutes. But I had senators come up to me, go, "This was this was beautiful." Uh, David Rubenstein, who uh, is president of the uh, Kennedy Center, said, "Come back anytime. That was it. Was really a lovely, wonderful speech. Then I talked about George, certainly, and I want to talk about George and the arts. But George is a political man, and I didn't want to get into his politics or how generous he is with his charity. But I did talk about his spirit of liberality, not being a liberal, but but liberal as a verb. Yeah. And uh, it it was pretty good. Sounds like you knocked it out of the park. It was really great. I was really, really proud of it. But George and I, we talk about that when you give a speech that you're honoring somebody. Yes, you've got to honor that person, but more than anything else, you've got to be entertaining and fascinating because then they will remember the speech and, as a, and you are representing that person being honored. But if you just go through going, you know, he gave this money here and he did this and he did it, oh, who needs to hear it? But if you give interesting stories, and George is an interesting storyteller. And and is a very funny man, so he gives a great speech. So I've I've learned from him.
0: So growing up in Trenton, New Jersey, and then mm-hmm. across the way in Pennsylvania, is there someone in your family or someone an adult that you first see who was either a, a good public speaker or on stage and has some kind of presence wow. publicly that you look at and say, "Wow, that that that's no fun.
1: nobody's ever asked me that. I I'm related to a, a fairly famous rabbi named Josh Haberman who was the uh rabbi at the actually at the coincidentally uh at the largest reform temple in the world which happened to be in Washington DC he was a very prominent man and actually there were three religious representatives at the uh 911 uh ceremony Billy Graham somebody else and representing uh the Jews was Rabbi Haberman. It was my uncle Josh, uh, relative through marriage, uh, he, and he was he was actually, from I believe, from Austria, and he was a magnificent speaker. He was about five three, but he when he, his voice was booming. So I remember him, but I can't say I I anyone ever impacted me like that. But I do understand, especially today. The import of communication, because we have a great president, a great statesman who cannot communicate with the verve that other politicians or other speakers can communicate language has always been tough for him. He was a stutterer. He's, he's his range of excitement is, you know, from a to B or a to a minus. Actually, he just can't, he has no levels with it. And I understand that. And, and it was very interesting. You know, I saw him speak at the Kennedy center awards and he's talking and he's reading, you know, from, uh, from, from, the monitors and he's talking, but he's like he'll be talking about Gladys Knight, and they'll go, "You've taken the music of the video, and then he'll it will sink in, and he'll go, "No, I mean that," meaning mm-hmm. he's read. I'm sure he's read the speech before, but he doesn't have time to read speeches. He's got to govern, so he's he's read the speech before. He's familiarized, but not as much as he'd want to. When I spoke to some speech writers uh, on his staff the next morning, we had coffee, and he has to glance at them. But he'll he'll read what the speechwriters wrote and then he'll hit home and he'll go, no, nah, I mean that. I really mean that. No, I'm sincere when I say that. It's because he just read it and he goes, yeah, I agree with what I'm saying.
0: It's, it's a good thing actors on stage don't say that. Like, you know, yes, a, famous, you're right. a famous line like, you know, attention must be paid. Right. No, really.
1: And I'm, No, I mean that. Yeah. Arthur Miller's right. Attention must be paid. <laughs> although, although <laughs> I think I once did at Second City. Uh, where you improvise and you're the writer and then you're the actor is uh, I was doing a scene or something and I it's improvised a line or something and I got a big laugh and I was under my breath and I went, that was very funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. that 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 hit you oh know, that was good. Yeah.
0: You which know, acting all... school which acting school is that a part of? is that the Stanislavsky yeah, right. method that, of like yeah. pointing out, hey no, yeah that,
1: that was that, that... that that's where they teach it to have a huge ego. That's right. That was profound.
0: <laughs> yeah right there. <laughs> So getting up on stage, does it already happen when you're a kid at Trenton or is when you move to Pennsylvania and you're in Uh, high school?
1: No, it it didn't. There's a thing called forensic society, forensics, which is nowadays we hear the word forensics. We think of uh, law and order or or police dramas. Forensics was the speech and debate society. I was pretty successful in that. I used to do oral and or I, I don't think I wrote. I did original speeches, but I I did uh, dramatic and oral and interpret. So I was used to getting up and doing that. I was used to doing uh, plays. Although although we did plays at our school, we only did one a year, and we were a big big school. But um, uh, that that's what I did. And I went to I went to college, the Northwestern pre-law but knowing i had the opportunity to act there and and, uh and do plays which i did i did my really did many more plays in a lot of theater majors coincidentally yesterday somebody who would have been a wonderful interview for you you know the name frank galati Mm -hmm. he passed away yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh, uh uh he was the one who really convinced me to be an actor Not that he was my biggest fan, but he he said, he he knew I was good and he knew I wanted to be an actor. And he goes, well, you you know, it was either being an actor or going into my dad's jewelry business. And he said, well, why don't you become a producer so you go to the business side? And I go, no, 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 you don't understand. Either I want to be an actor or I want to be rich with two and a half kids in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. It's one or the other. And uh, he said, well... Go out there, learn, be good. You're not going to really become successful till you're 32, 33, because you've got a character face. You're you're not exactly what Hollywood wants, and so maybe subliminally, I knew that. I listened to him, and I didn't start getting money work until I was that age. But I worked consistently. Before that meeting in Second City, my late twenties, uh, you know, I worked for uh, three or four, for four, four or five years at Second City in Chicago, which is sort of my the Harvard or the Yale of my uh, of my acting school. You how know, old were stage, you when he, How old were you when he gave you that advice? Twenty twenty one when I graduated Northwestern. Uh, was there also was that. I, he, I've read that he, fr- he was my professor at Northwestern. I right. don't know I've that read said. that there
0: was a friend of your father's also.
1: Uh, maybe when he, you were in high school, kind he, of. Yes, he's the one who said, "Go and try, try it, because when you're forty, you're gonna you're gonna resent your children, you'll resent your wife, you'll resent your life that you didn't try it." So I I, I believe uh, you. I, I had no no responsibilities except to myself right. so go try it if i have responsibility that which is why oh, what i'm about to which is why i'm so pro choice is because a child can ruin a life
0: right.
1: you know so it, it, who knows what vistas are out there and a child can ruin all of that uh, you know if if you ha- if you have an unwanted child so you have not, you have nothing, you have nobody to answer to to yourself except yourself. Hold on, I got a sneeze. Oh my gosh! Who? 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 Wow! I
0: never knew I was such a tough questioner. though. it wow. was a sneeze. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so when you're so, going, when you're yeah. in high school and you're mm-hmm. living in Pennsylvania, but you're taking trips into New York. Uh, where does that come from?
1: Is, that, is there a love I can, of tell, shows? I can tell you exactly where that came from. Uh, my grandparents were very, uh, were real New Yorkers. My, my grandfather was in real estate. I think he was mildly successful. They had a huge apartment on 86th and West End that is now, from what I hear, six apartments. It got subdivided. They moved to the East Side. They would take me when I was a kid to all the shows and to Leonard Bernstein's uh, young people's concerts and things like that. So I had a real upbringing in Broadway and I would see all the, uh, when I got to be about uh, late teens, early twenties, I saw everything and have continued to see everything. I, you know, there, there's a museum now called the museum, the museum of Broadway uh, which is on forty. 4th or 46th street. It's fantastic. And all of a sudden you get to the point where I go, oh my God, I saw that. I saw that production. And then I just go through the rest of the museum saying, I saw that. I have that playbill. I know I saw that. So I was really raised, my grandparents really raised me uh, to be a theatrical animal. So this
0: notion of going for an acting life uh, and having that thought in high
1: school, having in college How's that go over with your folks? I, I, it was I, I would, it was never supposed to be an actor. That's that's like uh, uh, you know, it, it's as it's as wild as saying I want to be president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we all would like to. Maybe we all have aspirations of being the president. And then you grow up and you say, hey, you know, what? I think I'll be an account? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, it was my dream to do all these things theatrical, but I was not supposed to be an actor. And it was that, that friend of my father's who said, try it, but it was as doing that was as far. You grow up, you get good grades in high school and you go to college, you get bar mitzvahed. There are certain things you do and acting, being an actor was not one of them. That's just not what people did. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't in our vocabulary. And the thought of it, to be an actor, no, no no, i uh and then all of a sudden, it's like, holy jeez, I'm an actor, this is my life. I got in it because it was fun i I still call my life is an extracurricular activity this is I'm just doing after school stuff here uh and uh i and and i I was lucky i I started out with talent. But not a lot. i re- It really had it took me twenty years to to become a good actor. I pulled the wool over everybody's eyes for a while. I did a lot of high school acting, which people enjoyed, meaning I was big. I was way too large, uh, especially in front of a camera because you know, I used to joke uh, when i whenever I did a high school play, my grandmother would go, I heard every word. You were the only one who I could hear, and I understood every word. So I used to think acting was a matter of volume, and uh, you know I was loud. Uh, so it it really took me twenty years to realize what acting was all about, and try and I would take classes, but it wouldn't sink in. And then I and to to have it all gel took about twenty years.
0: Is there a conversation at home with your folks? Uh, a one conversation of this is going to be
1: what I'm going to do yeah um i I bet they thought it was a passing phase i really do yeah go try it go do it yeah go go try it and my father could never trust that i was any good he would always go up to a teacher professor a director and say is he any good can he make it does he have it that's what a father knows. Uh, the funniest thing, though, I, I I think I've told you this before, is uh, he once came up to me and he said, uh, "You'll know when this this happened." He goes, "Do you see the movie Tender Mercies?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Robert Duval, I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Why can't you act like that?" <laughs> oh. And somebody oh, yeah, said, yeah. "Dad, why couldn't you give me a nose like his?" Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. Anyway, so you know, yeah. he 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 do things. But he wasn't, he wasn't theater educated. You know, he's the type of guy he takes uh, on a Sunday afternoon. We had four tickets to Fiddler. So we came in, we saw Fiddler, we went to Mama Leone's, and then we drove home. You know, he, it was my grandparents who who introduced me. And my mother was an artist and was a New Yorker. So she and loved old movies. Uh, so she's the one who cultivated that. But I just, uh, yeah, it's just as I got older, it just it just snuck up on me like a like throwing a cape over your head. You all of us, you know, it's slowly. Oh, my gosh. This is this is the bubble I live in. I'm an Mm -hmm. actor. Uh, It just it really didn't hit me.
0: Your friend Paul Reiser told me in an interview last year that when he became a comedian, he said to his father, would it help if I got a letter from another comedian like David Brenner? wrote to you and said you know he's good that's hilarious and the father said something
1: like yeah it couldn't hurt actually it couldn't hurt right (laughs) yes right well and that's also like like the line um that jay Jay leno used when he was on the tonight show and his parents saw him and then they turned in and they go we tuned in the next night you weren't there so (laughs) so so, your father's
0: a jewel jeweler.
1: Uh, uh, and, I, and was... I have to tell you, my father was a my father was a salesman. He happened to sell jewelry, and uh, he was very, very good at it. And the thing that my dad could do he 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 always said that you never sold jewelry for a bad occasion, so that was something that was very good. Mm-hmm. You know it was a very positive thing. And he was a very different man than, than myself, except that he was loud and forceful, but he was gregarious and everything he sold was the best that you were going to buy. His competition was Tiffany and Cartier. Mm-hmm. In Princeton, you could go to New York and go buy buy your jewelry there. Or you could have my dad's stuff, which was the same supplier. And my dad was supremely overpriced. It was so, but he would never haggle. He would never deal. He goes, this is what it's worth. This is the best you will find. I am. I will stand behind this. And uh, And so he believed in what he was selling. And he could sell, if he believed it, he could sell it to anyone.
0: I've read that there's a connection between his jewelry business and you going to an audition in new york oh, w- yeah. in which you get your equity card eventually uh-huh. that you're carrying around a lot of yeah, I not- must have been
1: carrying around at the time 200 to two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of jewelry because at christmas time things had to be sized or they had to be uh remounted or whatever it is or i had to go pick up an item from a supplier in new york so you go to all the streets, you know, up and down the 46th Street between yeah. uh, the 6th and 7th or 5th and 6th, whatever it is. And you're climbing up staircases to this, you know, dingy apartment where they're redoing it or whatever. So I have a briefcase full of this stuff and I had to do it uh you know on the 23rd or the 24th so that we could have it in time we couldn't you know you didn't have fedex at the time you had richard kind he had his son going in and doing the the uh the dirty work so i have all of this and i knew that there was an audition and i'm on my way to penn station and the audition was on 46th street and i go ah oh, what the hell and i break and I, i'm carrying all this money upstairs probably the uh uh, you know, the budget for the play. And I go up and I put it down and I sing my song and I do my monologue and they offered me the job right there. And I, I said, well, can I think about it? And we were, this was around the 24th. We were started rehearsals January 3rd. And I remember I turned around and I went and I picked up the stuff and I just turned, and I go, what am i thinking about this is my equity card this is a role of course i'm going to do it i'm not yes 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 of course i will and so i got it and also the really interesting thing about that it was i had been looking for my equity card You, you you know that catch 22 don't you about the equity card explain it to us you in order to be in an equity show you have to have an equity card but in order to get an equity card you have to be in an an, an equity show <laughs> so it is a catch 22 of how the hell am I going to get it if you're not letting me in and and there was no way so so there would be equity principal auditions and then it was a rule that you had to have non-equity auditions and you know they never hired anybody this one did i went to the uh to the non-equity audition which was an hour at the end of the day uh after they had seen all the equity people let's say they saw them from nine to three or nine to four from four to five they had to see non-equity people i went up and i did it that that's that's what i did and i got it Yeah, wow. So i got lucky and that was a road tour <laughs> Five and a half months, thirty-six states in five and a half months, all in a in, a, in like a, an oversized VW van, like like a you know it wasn't a VW but it was like a it carried six uh, six actors, one stage manager, lighting equipment, uh, the set, and uh, and all our luggage, and we drove all over. Of which I can tell you, Texas is the longest state in the world. It just on <laughs> un- but it goes on for ever and ever and ever
0: and is there a sense at that point of hey i'm in i'm in show business this is
1: just the opposite on the academy awards on the night of the academy awards we're sitting i'm sitting in a motel six which is it's called motel six because it's like six dollars or twelve dollars for the room at the time i think it was six or ten dollars and you have, and you're you're sharing the room with somebody. You have to put a quarter in for the TV. I'm watching the Academy Awards, which is it's always my dream to have the to be a, a, a you know to win an Academy Award. And there, on a commercial, is Mike Spound, who I went to college with. Great guy, terrific actor, and he's he's on a commercial, and so he's making it. And I'm sitting in, uh, you know, in the uh, El Dorado, Texas or wherever I am in some, you know, little town or or some little town in America. And I'm watching the Academy Awards, which I'm nowhere near, certainly. But Mike, Mike Spound is near it and I'm not. And it was a low, low point. But I will tell you something that I true, truly believe. And whenever I teach, I, I say this, the journey is often so much more fun than what you find at the end of the road. It's just, the journey is a blast. Uh, and it was. My my years becoming, you know, getting the career that I've had, <clears throat> and I still go. <clears throat> my journey has been fantastic. Going, you know, five, 36 dates in five and a half months. this this terror you know performing in these small little towns it's was horrible at the time what a blast i had i had the most wonderful time it was great so during
0: those early years uh are you all in or are there moments where you ever ever came close to uh I'm, i'm getting out
1: but i gotta tell you i never thought about getting out because i always worked I just always worked. I didn't make a money, but I always worked. I just got lucky. You know, it, it just, I was lucky. I, I'm I'm fantastically lucky. I was lucky that the way I got to Second City was because I went to school with Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Brad Hall and Gary Kroger and Paul Barras, who were all in, uh, in Saturday Night Live. And then they said, go to Chicago and go do a, a play at our theater that that changed my life and then i got plucked by second city from that show Uh, you just got to put yourself out there i believe well i believe that you have to have luck but you've got to work really hard to have luck and uh in fact Hal Prince did a show that I was supposed to do that was called Prince of Broadway. And it started out saying, you know, career, I owe my career to luck. And I went in and I talked to him. I sat across from his desk and I loved Hal. He was great. But I just said, Hal, you, you, you can't do that. That is the most irresponsible start. And the reason why is because he gave a commencement address at University of Pennsylvania talking about how lucky he was. I go, there is nobody who worked harder at being lucky than you. You went to Mr. Abbott, you know, to George Abbott. You worked as a stage manager. Mm -hmm. Then were you lucky that the first place you first play you produced was damn Yankees? Yes. But you worked hard. To get the rights to that, and to to find these two songwriters who were not uh, so famous, yeah, you got lucky. But my God, you were a stage manager for years. He he studied, he knew, and and studied under Mister Abbott. You got to work hard. Uh, the the stories of uh, you get job... what it was, but it's that old joke about the uh, the guy who wants to win the lottery goes in every week. You know that one. Go ahead. He goes to Temple every week. Every week, please, God, please let me win the lottery. Let me win the lottery. Please let me win the lottery. Finally, one day, the heavens open up, and a big voice comes down and goes, Morty, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket. Pretty good. Okay,
0: okay. it's a good joke. Uh, the... the. Uh... Story of actors having to take jobs that were perhaps not the most illustrious jobs in the world along the way is uh, been well documented. So let me ask you this: at the saloon on the Upper West Side, how close did you come to being one of the waiters who would go around on roller skates?
1: I would. There was not a prayer not a prayer i am my joke was everybody used to say why aren't you on roller skates and i go i prefer to keep the food on the plate and not in your lap (laughs) and they laughed at that so that was funny but so this uh, was a place this was a
0: place where everybody wore wore roller roller skates Yeah, yeah it was
1: a roller skating it's great now it's a lululemon and a uh and an apartment building across from lincoln center but um yeah, that, that was a place that, oh, they tried to make that place into, were you in New York at the time? hmm They tried to make that place successful, and finally they got a successful, you know, there was a uh, 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 the, the, the Creperie, and there, there were all sorts of restaurants, and finally the saloon was a big hit, and, so, uh, and I was there.
0: So the roller skates never even, you told them right from that the That wasn't get-go. even in my
1: vocabulary, and I could roller skate, there wasn't a prayer, not a prayer. It's bad enough I, could, I was worried about carrying a, a tray of drinks. I once came out, not on roller skates, it was in, thank God it was outside. There were about six people on either side. Everybody had ordered a tequila sunrise. And I had 12 drinks. And I put them down on the table to rest them, and they literally all fell over. And like Moses parting the Red Sea, they all just went straight down all the tables and equally Doused everybody with uh, with a drink, and that was uh, that was a terrible. I I was a great waiter, but that was a terrible thing. Terrible.
0: The writer Jacqueline Woodson once told me that any kind of award she's won when she's writing, she has she she doesn't face. She has them on the wall behind her because those awards, the previous books, don't write the next book. So for all the acting jobs you've had, does that history do, do the lessons learned? pertain when you take on a new job like your role now in East New York.
1: Well, that's a, that's a great quote by her. That's wonderful. Let me tell you, but I'm a journeyman actor. Whatever's available, I take. My friend Hank Azari used to say, have you ever heard the word No. And I don't. I take everything. If I can do it and I like it, I will do it. Everybody goes, well, how did you decide to do this script? And I go, they offered it to me. That's how I choose my roles. I think that the only thing that working in the business has taught me is how to behave on a set, how to be be professional. But I can't say that oh, this is how I'm going to approach the character. I approach the character. uh, I did have a teacher who said, every answer you need about the character is in the script. It's there. You may have to think about it. You may have to imagine it. But everything is in the script. Sometimes I use commas and periods as information about what that character is about. Why is there an ellipse? Why doesn't he finish the sentence? So those are all things, but that's how I approach the character. Do I say, oh, I learned something before, and now that informs this one? Yeah, I suppose I do, but I don't think about it consciously. Like, you're asking it consciously. It just happens, and you read the script, and you make your decisions, and you go, this is what I can do with it. You know, the only reason that I'll I'll, I'll tell you something, I've been offered... Well, I don't know what I could say. I've been offered a, uh, I get offered a movie, and and they th- they say we'd like you for this part. Somebody will say, "I want to read the script." Now that sounds like I'm demanding. Let's see if I like the script. Is it any good? I don't do it for that reason. I look at it to go, "Is this? Am I capable of this? Is this something I can tackle, or will I be bad in it?" Now, as an actor and as a character actor and a pretty good actor, I can say, yeah, I could do that. There might be, I, I might acknowledge there might be people who are better. But can I do it? Yeah, sure, I can do it. And then I'll take it. But if I can't do it, uh, I'm pretty good at it. Or I'll, and I've even gotten in on, on auditions and I've said, you know, I, I, I could do this. You know who would be better for this role? And I've said it i've i've told them get this person they're better for it i was on seinfeld and i auditioned for a role and i said uh, uh you should use this guy and they said we we called him he's not available and i said well i'm by far the second best choice <laughs> so uh uh and then i asked but i i knew i wasn't right for the role i asked to be fired and i eventually was fired I, it, we, were, we were a couple of days into it. They, they changed it. I said, I'm not right for this. I pulled the wool over your eyes. Get rid of me. And they did. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Let's finish
0: up on a note from the early years again. Uh, there are summer camp people, and then there are non-summer camp people. Uh, your summer camp was Camp Sunapee?
1: Camp Sunapee. New London, New, New Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire. Okay. New Hampshire. Yeah. On Lake Sunapee. Do you know Lake Sunapee?
0: uh i don't but i know uh my cousin david went to camp sunapee uh, david
1: yes well he went to camp sunapee yes david Smilo. he was a bigwig he was like important he had gone there for a long while and uh uh yeah he was well he was a big guy uh so he was he was very much admired i don't know whether i would recognize him if he knocked me down today you know knocked me on the street and and uh one thing that i learned at camp uh, I had a wonderful friend who's no longer with us. God, he was a great guy. His name is Daniel Baum. Danny Baum became a great writer. Wrote for the New Yorker. Wrote a lot. Wrote for the Wall Street Journal. Wrote some books. Uh, he taught me. He taught me who Richard Kind was. He really did. He gave me a sense of irony. He gave me a sense of self-deprecation. Uh, you know, don't take everything so seriously. He was, he was a mentor starting in fourth or fifth grade, if you can believe it. He was, and a peer. He was, that's, that's his age. He taught me a lot. And, uh, and I always used to tell him, and he, he'd poo poo it. Then one time he comes to New York with his family by chance, and I hadn't spoken to him. He actually went to Northwestern for the first year, quit. And, uh, you know, never graduated from college, I don't believe. But then he, maybe, but he left college and uh, we hadn't seen each other for uh, 20 years. So I'm doing a play on Broadway called Tale of the Allergist's Wife. He happens to go with his family, with his wife and and daughter. The play starts and he goes, oh my God, that's that's rich and kind. (laughs) And that's how we reconnected is so many years later. But and and I always told him, I, I I and he really would poo-poo it, but he was. He actually was a mentor, I found out, unfortunately, at his funeral, at his Zoom funeral, all these young writers who were talking about what a what a great mentor he was to so many young writers. Oh, he was he was a wonderful man. I continue to talk about him, and those who knew him would talk about him yeah he was great. It's a great man. you hope you hope that you're that good. I pale. I enter to you know people stop me and they go, Oh, you know, I had cancer, and I would watch Spin City, and you got me through some very tough times, and I'm very happy about that. I really am this is fantastic, but that has nothing to do. With why I became an actor. I wish I was so self, you know, so 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 giving that, that would have been that would have propelled me to uh to be an actor. I became an actor because it's what I like to do.
0: The arts, the beauty of the arts is the tentacles, yeah. you never
1: know whose lives you're gonna touch. You don't know. You truly yeah. don't know. Uh I am also of the belief that the arts do not change the world. Government and policy and you know, they that's who changes the world. But we do make it nicer. That's right. Yeah. Richard, it's always a pleasure. My pleasure, Bud. Okay. A pleasure to, to talk one-on-one with you, as opposed I'll, to having four heads you know, between us.
0: I'll see you next time at Barney Greengrass. I'll see you next time. Richard Kind. You can see him on CBS's East New York on Sunday nights, also on Hulu's History of the World Part Two, and in a new movie, Bo is Afraid. Before the Cheering Started is a production of June 14th Productions and Gemini 13 Productions. This episode was created and written by me. Guitar playing? That's me as well. No extra charge. Thank you as always to editor Lou Pellegrino. I'm Bud Mishkin, and this is Before the Cheering Started. Thanks for joining us on the journey.